Hi. Hi. We've made it. Wow. Tomorrow is the last full day of the retreat. Congratulations. You're all here. None of you left. This is great. This is great. I say that because retreats aren't easy, aren't always easy, as you know. There are lots of ups and downs, especially on a metta retreat. You know, you come to cultivate metta, and there are moments that your heart feels anything but metta. Um, But you hung in there. You've hung in there. And yet, even though the retreat is... Is almost not quite over. You have a full day of practice tomorrow. You know, don't don't start ending yet. But also, not to count all your chickens and assume that this is it. Because um, just to say, oh, I experienced this. I didn't experience that. It's a little too soon. It's a little too soon. This practice has long-term effect. And you have no idea what, what seeds you have planted this all week, how they're going to germinate, how they're going to come to fruition for a long time to come. You may not know for days, for weeks, or for months how your retreat really was. I wanted to offer a couple of tips before I get into the the main topic for tonight, which is gratitude, by the way, just to let you know. A couple of tips is this, and this has come up from the practice meetings um, today and yesterday. Around this time, by, by this time, some of you might feel that The phrases are just too heavy. They're just too much. They're too wordy. That might be happening for some of you. Maybe not for some of you. It's okay. But for those for whom this is happening, it's okay to simplify. It's okay to make the phrases, the metaphrases, just one word. Just one word. Safe. Happy. Healthy. Ease. And connecting that perhaps with your breath for more embodiment and also with images, etc. The tableaus of your of your benefactor's friend, difficult, neutral, difficult all beings, being in those states of safe, happy, healthy ease. Another tip I wanted to share with you is for those of you who's for whom English is not your mother tongue, which includes me, you might find that actually doing the metta practice in your mother in your mother tongue feels different and, and lands in a different way, lands more deeply. I discovered this years ago when I was doing a metta retreat. Um, might have been actually not my first metta retreat, but I don't know, second or what, but I remember all of a sudden, I I was doing the phrases in English, like a good yogi, just as I was taught. These are the magic phrases. I was saying them over and over. And then all of a sudden, an image of my grandmother came to my mind. And just the warmth and, and love from my grandmother was a very important dear being in my life, holding me. Um, and with that, the Farsi words started to come. And, and I started to translate the phrases and the words into Farsi. And, oh, they landed in a way that they hadn't landed before in English. I mean, the practice was already going pretty well, I thought, in English, but, but it, they just landed even more deeply in Farsi, in the language that I was reared in and I was held in with my by my grandma and, and mom. So, so if any of you are in that category, experiment with, with other languages and see how it might land for you. So <clears throat> with that, 
Now I'll start on the main feature. I kind of like this, kind of giving you a preview a little bit. Like, you know, you go to the movies, you have 15 minutes of previews, and then the main feature starts. Okay, now the main feature starts. Gratitude. So I like to start the talk by reading a little passage from, from the book by Gil Fransdell. Um, the book is called The Monastery Within. And this is a short little story. And the title of it is The Monastic Alternative. The Monastic Alternative. As a teenager, As a teenager, she often visited the monastery. She was deeply attracted to the monastic life. The Buddhist path to liberation was what had the most meaning for her. When she became an adult, she planned on joining the monastic order. However, when she turned 21, her older sister and her sister's husband died in an accident and she became the foster parent for their two children, for their two young children. In addition, her own parents had become quite old and needed her help. As the only income earner in the family, she had to work long hours every day. She loved to meditate, but with all the work and caregiving she had to do, she had no time for it. Since she was not able to fulfill her aspiration for following the monastic path, she went to the abbess of the monastery and asked how she could follow the path with the life she had to live. The abbess said <clears throat> that if she couldn't meditate, then the best alternative is to be grateful for everything. I repeat that. The abbess said that if she couldn't meditate, then the best alternative is to be grateful for everything. So as the winds of change start to blow in the retreat, we start to ponder how do we take this practice home? And we'll be talking a lot more about that tomorrow and the day after. Gratitude. If you can't meditate, then be grateful for everything. Be grateful for everything. So gratitude practice is one that we can practice both on retreat, as you have already, there was a beautiful session on mudita, vicarious joy. And vicarious joy, when you practice it for others, it's mudita. You're happy for their happiness, good fortune. And when you turn that, that happiness for your own good fortune, that becomes gratitude. So actually the practice of gratitude is part of the four Brahma Viharas. It kind of fits there, as you see, the kind of... You know, as you practice it, you, you'll see when you practice mudita for yourself, it becomes gratitude. So it's already there. And also, in and, in and of its own, it's, it's a practice, it's a very powerful practice, and it can be a doorway for many people. So, it can be a doorway... Can, so any of, any of the practices we've talked about, metta, compassion, mudita, forgiveness, equanimity, gratitude, any of them can be an entry point. And gratitude for some people can be an entry point because they have more access for, to it. And it can be the entry point to the other ones. And vice versa. The other practices can become an entry point for gratitude when the heart feels full, when the heart really feels full with compassion or metta and is really held, then gratitude can naturally arise. As many of you have already talked about it, 
in the practice meeting, gratitude has come up for you in so many different ways on retreat for, for this experience, for so many things in your life. Gratitude, thankfulness, gratefulness, an affirmation of goodness is one way to think about it. As one translation, uh, um, definition of the word, affirmation of goodness. What's interesting is that in theistic religions, which I suspect, I will assume, we're all familiar with in one way or another, the gratitude is towards an external source, is towards God. So, for example, in Christianity, one says grace before meals. In Islam, or actually I should say in, in Iran, because I'm not sure if it's the same way in all Muslim countries, but, but in Iran where I grew up, till I was a teenager, we, we expressed gratitude to God after the meal was over, um, at the end, Khodaya Shukr. That would be the exclamation that one would make, kind of with, with, um, from a place of contentment and gratitude. It would just come up, Khodaya Shukr. It would just come up. And I remember one of my aunts making fun and saying, you know, Christians, they say grace before the meal. Us Muslims, we wait till the end until we make sure we've had the meal. We just <laughs> we make fun of ourselves. But anyway, that aside. <laughs> In Buddhism since it's not a theistic religion. And there's not so much a concept of the external being that you give gratitude to for your blessings. There isn't a God that you thank for what you have been given, for the meal, for the delicious meal that the cooks have prepared for you. So how, how is it expressed? How, how, what, how can you have gratitude without without God? Well, of course you can. I'd like to share something from you, and um, something with you from, from an Atlantic article by the title, Gratitude Without God, from November 26, 2014. Robert Emmons, a psychologist at the, Har- at the University of California, Davis, author of Thanks, How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier, says, we all begin life dependent on others, and most of us end life dependent on others. If we are lucky, in between we have roughly 60 years or so of unacknowledged dependency. I love that. 60 years or so of unacknowledged dependency. We don't acknowledge it, but we are dependent on each other. He continues, The human condition is such that throughout life, not just at the beginning and end, we are profoundly dependent on other people. So it's not just when we're young or when we're older, but throughout our life, unacknowledged dependency on each other in so many ways. He continues, Gratitude is the truest approach to life. We did not create or fashion ourselves. We did not birth ourselves. Life is about giving, receiving, and repaying. We are receptive beings dependent on the help of others, on their gifts, and their kindness. Basically, he's saying that since humans are born and they survive off of the generosity of others and then die, gradually, gratitude naturally is the organizing principle of life. It cannot be otherwise. So in that way, Buddhism and science have something in common. Because when scientists study gratitude as they have, and no talk of mine will be complete without a few studies, so I'll share a few with you. So... The, the way that scientists study gratitude is in the same way. It's 
the feeling of gratitude that arises, this feeling of gratitude for the interdependency for what life gives us, which is similar to, to the expression of gratitude, the way we practice it and experience it in our practice of Buddhism. It can be all around. So, again, if you, if you would humor me, I'd like to share with you a few studies. And, and the studies are actually more in the mode of doing versus being. And as Heather last night beautifully talked about the mode of both the, the doing that leads to the being of metta. So here we practice metta, we practice, we say the phrases, we do, we do, 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 and we be, we become metta. It's being metta. We become it, we experience it, we become kinder instead of doing kindness. Gratitude is the same way. There are many practices that you quote-unquote do, you engage in, so that you become gratitude. Gratitude becomes you. It becomes natural. Then becomes then there's an experience of feeling grateful for everything and for nothing. And I'll talk more about that. But that's the paradox I want you to hold. You can be grateful for everything and for nothing in particular. It's just a feeling of gratitude. The same way of being metta, being kind, being grateful, being it instead of doing it. But for the next part of the talk, I will talk about some of the doing because I think doing can lead to the being is what is, is the practice that we do is what we've, we've been doing this week is the doing that can lead to the being also. So I'll share with you a few doing exercises and then talk more about being gratitude along that, that uh, spectrum. Is that okay? Yeah, from doing to being? Yeah, is that okay? All right, great. So, perhaps the most famous practice that has been developed for doing gratitude <clears throat> is one that many of you have heard about, is writing down at the end of the day, five things that you're grateful for. This is a practice that, again, Robert Emmons, who is really the pioneering researcher on gratitude, has come up with. And the practice is very simple. You just come up with one, the five things you're grateful for. You write one sentence once a week, maybe for two months. And there are different variations of this. I'm curious, how many of you have actually done this? Can I see a show of hands? Yeah, many of you have already done this. Okay, great. Maybe half. Something like this. Yeah. So I did this a, a long time ago. Um, and actually, amazingly, surprisingly, it really works. It really, really does work. I mean, I remember for me, I started to do this I wrote the five things I liked. I've, I've done this actually in different periods. At first, I w the first time I did it, I would just write it uh, in a little notebook. The second time I did it, um, I wrote emails to myself every night before going to bed. I had a gratitude email. And then another time I did it, I had a gratitude buddy, my cousin, who's my dear friend. We, we did this together. We just send each other a little email every night, you know, the five things. And, and every time, it worked. Every time, um, there was a change in, in my attitude. I would just walk around and, and I would be more grateful. There would be more things that I would see, I would feel, that, that I would feel gratitude for. And I wasn't even trying. You know, the, I was trying a little bit at the end of the night when I was writing those emails or writing, like, okay, what happened today? Oh, that thing happened today. And then actually it would be fun. It would be a day review because... The morning was so long away. I had totally forgotten, oh, something happened this morning that actually I'm happy about, I'm grateful for. So it was a nice review of the day. And, and then it really turned my mind to see the world through a different lens. Um, I started, to, it, um, I started to, to see things to be grateful for. I've, I've heard, it, actually, there's, there's another study that 
people who play Tetris. Are you guys familiar with Tetris? They're those little kind. They're uh, it's 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 a game where you you turn little blocks and shapes and you drop them into place. So it turns out that the people who play a lot of Tetris, they start to see the world in blocks, in shapes, that they kind of have their mind, that they're walking around, they see the world in blocks. So as I was walking around, I would see the world and things to be grateful for. It, so the practice does change your brain, does, does change you. And um, Robert Emmons has done this, this practice with, with thousands of people. Um, thousands of subjects, their age uh, ranging from 8 to 80, um, and in this version of it, for three weeks. So they did this gratitude, the five things, for, for three weeks. And, and what he found was physical changes, psychological changes, and social changes. I'll just read the list. Um, and you'll, you'll hear many of these are similar to the, the metta, the loving-kindness practices, because these practices are similar. One can be a doorway to another. They're practices of the heart. Metta makes you happy. Gratitude makes you happy. They're all related. So I'll read the list, and I'll talk about more about the relationship. So physical, stronger immune system, less bothered by aches and pains, lower blood pressure. And again, this is all from this very simple five gratitudes per day. Exercise, uh, so, oh, this is an interesting one. So people tended to exercise more and take better care of their health. That's kind of surprising, but fun. Um, they would sleep longer and feel more refreshed upon waking up. Um, this was also pra- gratitude practice done with people who had heart attack. Um, and half of them were assigned to the, to, to the gratitude uh, practice and half not. And then the ones who did do the practice had much less inflammation and much faster recovery. And the results held out for two weeks, three months, and then six months out, which in the science, scientific research is pretty cool when results hold out six months out for something that you just do for three weeks. Um, and regarding the sleep, I think I, I quoted this in my last talk, that if you want to sleep more soundly, count blessings, not sheep. And that is by Dr. Emmons, and I couldn't remember who it was by before. Psychological changes, higher levels of positive emotions, more joy and pleasure, more optimism and happiness, sense of meaning in life, higher long-term satisfaction with life, less anxiety and depression, uh, uh, body image issues, it helps with that. Also, people with severe depression and suicidal ideation in the psychiatric ward were given this exercise, and it even had an effect in in, um, that population. Social changes. It makes you kind. Um, They had experiment with the subjects in the lab, became grateful. Um, um, So so they they had this experiment. They they invited the... the, um, they usually do these experiments on on uh, undergraduates who take psychology 101. They have to go through various social studies. So I've gone through it in the past, but anyway, so so they get undergraduates to go through uh, to supposedly go through a task, and they give them a, a, a laptop, and then they sabotage the laptop so that the laptop doesn't work, and then a a confidant of the experiment comes and fixes the laptop. So, you know, they, they do an act of kindness for this poor, unsuspecting undergraduate who then becomes really grateful for his laptop to have been fixed. And then he becomes a lot more likely to be kind and help others because he's become gr- grateful. And then if, in, in, the compar- um, in, in the other case, if, you know, the unsuspecting undergraduate doesn't go through whole this, this whole rigmarole, they're less likely to be kind and helpful to another person. So through all these conditions in the lab, they also extend to the real world. Um, gratitude practice makes you more helpful, generous, compassionate, more forgiving, more outgoing, feeling less lonely and isolated. It especially also helps the bonds in intimate relationships and friendships. Um, kinder behavior towards um, others, 
um, including romantic partners. So again, many of these are similar to expressions of, uh, to, uh, some, these benefits are similar to um, uh, the benefits of metta, because gratitude really is a different expression of metta. It is an expression metta, um, ex- an expression of metta, and it leads to metta. When, when you're grateful, you become kind. You become friendly, more friendly. When you, your heart is full of metta, when you receive kindness, it arises a feeling of gratitude and you be, can become more kind. So in a way, gratitude is, can be this relay. You receive kindness from someone, you feel grateful, and you feel more kind. I mean, there are many ways to feel gratitude, but that's one way to see it also, that it's all related. It's in, in this circle. It's in the circle of gratitude. Gratitude, kindness, all these practices are related. So... I'll share one other practice with you. And this one is also a simple one. This is also in, in the way of doing. And that is similar to the previous one, but um, a little different. So in this case, then um, this, this study, this, this uh, practice is by Martin Seligman, who's the founder of Positive Psychology. Who, who's the really thought of as the father of positive psychology. And the practice is called Three Good Things. We had five in the other one. Now we've, we've downsized to three. But the three are a little bulkier. So what, what he suggests that you do is that you think of three things that went well in your day, large or small. And also you, you describe, you write why you think they happened. So there's a little, it's a little more work. So you describe why you think they happened. And in this experiment, what he found was when people did this every way for one week, just one week, it led to increases in their happiness that persisted for six months. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool investment, isn't it? I hadn't done this one, so I was doing research uh, uh, some time ago, some months ago ungratitude. And when I found this, I thought, oh, I want to try this. And I did try it. For one week, I wrote three good things, three things that have gone well, large or small, and why they happened. And it was funny. By the end of the week, I did feel happier. I really did. And I thought I was doing pretty well, but it did have a shift. So... It's pretty wild. I think I know my mind pretty well. And, you know, these are just practices, yada, yada. But they work. It's pretty, pretty amazing. So, so don't take my word for it at all. Try this at home. <laughs> really, try it at home. What do you have to lose? It's like five, ten minutes for a week. Big deal. Just check it out. I'll offer a couple of other practices, do's, before we get to be. The one is really, actually, this is perhaps not so much a doing, but this one is kind of a practice of doing being. And it, it really relates also, this gratitude practice, to, to mindfulness. So the practice here is to savor, is to be present, to be mindful. And what basically the idea is here is that we go through life becoming numb to all the goodness that is around us. And by being more mindful and savoring the good, we become less prone to what's called hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation is when we become used to the good and we don't even feel it anymore. We don't see it anymore. Oh yeah, the food tastes good, whatever. I'm not even tasting it. But when you're actually present, oh, wow, 
Wow, this is great. Wow, wonderful. Mm. Gratitude, gratitude, feeling grateful for for who cooked for the person who cooked it, for the person for the farmer who grew it, for the water, for the plants, for everything that has all the causes and conditions, so many of them that has made this available in this moment. Gratitude to all of that, to all that inter- interdependence that has made this goodness possible. I like this quote from author G.K. Chesterton regarding savoring. She says, you you say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching Painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. I also like to share a quote by Einstein, my favorite mystic. He says, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And for me, that sentence, that sentiment is really the connection between gratitude and awe. Everything is a miracle. Everything is a miracle. So this might be, I mean, the various, the, these simple exercises, the doing of them can lead to the being, the being gratitude, to experiencing, to experiencing life as if everything is a miracle, having gratitude. And gratitude, again, may be a natural doorway for you, and it may not be, and it's Okay. If it's a natural doorway, it can probably, it's already naturally arisen. And if not, it might be something to cultivate a little more and, and work with, not to push, not to press. So there are some shadow sides, far enemies perhaps, of, of the gratitude practice and the counting of blessings. And one that I like to talk about and emphasize is really gratitude practice is not supposed to be a should or a way for suppression. Because some might have been raised in, in a familial culture that you should be grateful for this. You should be grateful. You should be grateful for all you have in your life. And if you're not grateful, there's something wrong with you. Ouch. That's not a very happy, healthy way of doing gratitude. So watch out if, if your mind starts to play that tape that might have been played for you. There is no should in gratitude. There is no should. Yeah, it's not that I should be grateful. Um, the practice is more, can I be grateful for this? Can I be grateful for this? And sometimes the answer might be yes. And some other times the answer might be no. This is not the time. I don't, I don't feel grateful for this. And sometimes actually the practice might change. It might become a practice of compassion, self-compassion. Like, no, I don't feel grateful for this. In fact, it brings up sadness. It brings up other emotions, difficult emotions. And that's perfectly fine. Staying with whatever arises. Whatever arises, there is no forcing, there is no, there is no shooting here. There's also, similar to that, this practice shouldn't become a way of suppression, of just stuffing it in, oh, you should be grateful, move on, you know, just be happy and grateful for what you have and don't complain. Also not that, gratitude, it's not, it's not helpful to use it that way. It's not pure gratitude in that way trying to suppress what is unpleasant and just putting a band-aid and putting 
you know, it becomes spiritual bypass. And we don't want to do that. It's not an authentic practice of gratitude that way either. So in the way, in the practices that I mentioned, it would be really just what, what uplifts the heart. Something good that you feel happened, for example, writing it down. It's not that there's no should in that. Also, I like to mention that some have, um, some might feel that, oh, gratitude, uh, f- being, being grateful for the good in your life, oh, is too self absorbed. So it's actually interesting because, really, as we all know already, the practices of metta, all the Brahma Viharas, gratitude included in the basket of practices of the heart, they open the heart, they make you kinder, they make you nicer, not just for yourself, but for everyone around you. So it's not a practice to just become self-absorbed and happy with what you have, and it doesn't work that way. It's just the same way that metta, as you've experienced, it doesn't work that way. When your heart becomes full and held, it becomes extended. It, you want to give when your heart feels full. It overflows for everybody else, for all beings. The heart doesn't feel so needy anymore. So when the heart feels full with gratitude for what you have, then you naturally want to share it with others. Of course, I feel so rich. Of course I want to be kind and generous. So I want to go back to, to the um, story I read by Gail Fronstel, The Monastic Alternative. And the last line was, to be grateful for everything. To be grateful for everything. And that can be pretty challenging, right? So we often find it easy easier to be grateful for what is good. How about being grateful for everything, for this too? Can I be grateful for this too? This is radical gratitude. And it's a practice again to do lightly and not push it, not try to be grateful for everything. What is difficult? Not try to, but see if you can. And I want to share a little more to flesh out what I mean by that. A couple of things I want to read for you about this idea of radical gratitude. Just to offer, just, you don't have to do it, but just consider offering it for your consideration. So the first thing I want to share with you is is a poem by Billy Mills. Billy Mills was born in the Pine Ridge in, in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. And he's in Oglala Lakota or Sioux. Indian, and he was raised on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. He grew up in poverty and was orphaned at the age of 12. Then he turned to sports as a positive focus in his life and took up running while he was attending the boarding, Indian boarding school in Kansas. He discovered that he had a talent for distance running and he broke a number of high school and track records. In 1964, he was an American in the Tokyo Olympic Games. And at that time, no American had ever won the 10,000 meter race in in, in the Olympics. And Billy Mills' qualifying time was almost a full minute slower than the favorite, who was from Australia. 
and he won the 10,000 meter race. He dedicated his life to helping many young people growing up in the Native American reservations. And this is a poem by him I would like to share. It's from his book called Wokini, translated as New Life. There are two words in this poem which I like to translate for you first. One word in this poem is, is iktumi, iktumi, and that means trickster or mischievous spirit. The second word is vakantanka, vakantanka, which is the sacred or the divine. So here it comes, poem called, the poem from Billy Mills's book called New Life. In my youth, I respected the world and life. I needed not anything but peace of heart. And yet I changed despite myself and believed in Iktumi's lies. That's the trickster. He seemed to know all the truth. He promised to make me happy. He made me ask Wakantanka for wealth that I might have power. I was given poverty that I might find my inner strength. I asked for fame so others would know me. I was given obscurity that I might know myself. I asked for a person to love that I might never be alone. I was given a life of a hermit that I might learn to accept myself. I asked for power that I might achieve. I was given weakness that I might learn to obey. I asked for health, that I might lead a long life. I was given infirmity, that I might appreciate each minute. I asked Mother Earth for strength, that I might have my way. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need for her. I asked to live happily, that I might enjoy life. I was given life, that I might live happily. I received nothing I asked for, yet all my wishes came true. Despite myself and Iktumi, my dreams were fulfilled. I am richly blessed more than I ever hoped. I thank you, Wakantanka, for what you've given me. That's beautiful. Gratitude for everything. Gratitude for everything. <clears throat> Some time ago, <clears throat> maybe earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, I don't remember anymore, I gave a very short talk on radical gratitude, actually. So um, at IMC in Redwood City Inside Meditation Center, um, we have half-day retreats. So the way they work is in the morning, um, there's a very brief talk, just, just some instructions, maybe three minutes, five minutes, three theme for the day. And then, then there are periods of sitting and walking and sitting and walking with that theme. And then <clears throat> just before lunch, people come back and, um, and there is maybe a longer talk, or maybe there's a little bit of a QA or conversation. <clears throat> so some time ago, um, I gave this very brief three-minute talk about radical gratitude, about can you be grateful for everything? Just, you know, don't push it, don't try, don't try hard, but just ask yourself, can I be grateful for this too? Can I be grateful for this too? Because from a particular perspective, again, this can sound challenging too, but from a particular perspective, it's all okay. It's all okay. 
So I issued this invitation and the yogis practiced with it half a day and we came together and they reported on what had come up for them. And it was quite beautiful to see how this just perspective, just this very gentle questioning, can I be grateful for this too, had, had opened up some new perspectives for people. This was a t- small little talk, you know, very brief. And, um, and the, the, the talk and, and the, the meeting, the, the, the um, conversation was recorded on Audio Dharma. Um, and I didn't think anybody would listen to it, but apparently somebody did, others did. And, um, later I received an email from someone else who had read somebody else's blog who had listened to this talk. And it's very actually interesting. So it's kind of like going full circle now as I'm talking about this again. So, so the blog is called Raptitude and David Kane who's the owner of the blog, who's a very thoughtful guy, really appreciated, who has 25,000 people on his email list, had apparently heard my talk and that had inspired his practice. And he had taken this little talk and, and the, pra- the, the way he described the practice was just delightful. He had taken this little guidance and just really taken it far. So I'd like to share it with you. It's, it's quite lovely. It just brightens my heart. Um, you never know. So, so here it is from David Kane. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, a neighbor I had not yet met knocked on my door to tell me that her storage locker in the basement had been broken into, and so had mine. I went down there, the locker door was hanging open, and my bike was gone. They hadn't cut the lock, but had instead crowbarred the hardware entirely off the plywood, the plywood door, which building management had attached with four of the tiniest screws I had ever seen. (laughs) My initial feeling was the rush of violation and dirtiness that everyone feels when they see the mess left by a thief. They touched my stuff, and now some of it is at their place. But I ran out of indignation pretty quickly. The normal, victim, the normal victim feelings gave way to a feeling of, wow, I'm really glad I'm me. I can afford a new bike. I've never felt a desire to steal from people. Aren't I lucky that I don't know what it's like to enter a building illegally and rifle through someone else's belongings, hoping to find something I can sell for 50 bucks? I would rather lose all my possessions than be that guy. I'm also glad to know that the locker was so insecure before, before I put anything irrele- irreplaceable in, in there. I was thinking of, of it at the time, but I had recently listened to a short talk about cultivating gratitude at unusual moments. I'll just read the whole thing, whatever. Nikki Murgafuri, a computer scientist, that's me, and Buddhist teacher asked the attendees at a meditation group to experiment with being grateful for everything that happens to them and reporting their experience. The idea sounds ridiculous and even hopeless, but in practice, it's quite easy and immediately rewarding. You just ask yourself, can I be grateful for this too? In my short experience doing this, the brain has a way of coming up with good reasons why, yes, you can. This practice reveals a lot about our short-sightedness. We have a rather ridiculous tendency to believe everything is either strictly good for us or bad for us, and that we can reliably determine which one it is in the instant that that thing happens. Nikki makes an important clarification at the outset. You're not telling yourself you should feel grateful, only to invite or explore gratitude for what happens regardless of our initial feeling about it. I live in the city and, and make use of street parking every day. Most of the time, I can't find a spot on the stretch near my building, and I have to go past the building around to the long side of the block. When that happens, I usually end up hundreds of yards away from the door with groceries to unload. Predictably, I curse my bad luck, and I often, 
and often the people who had parked there inconsiderately or at all. Just after I'd listened to this talk, this happened to me again. I was on the cusp of reenacting my normal sequence of overreaction, disappointment, maybe rage, then grumpy trudging, when I remembered the practice. Could I be grateful that I couldn't find a spot close to the building? That what's happening is in many ways a good thing? The thought immediately put me into a totally different position, one where I didn't assume I should feel any particular way about it. Mostly, I just enjoyed the walk, noticed a few of my neighbor's yard decorations, and felt glad that carrying grocery bags two blocks isn't particularly difficult for me. I'm lucky to be able to walk almost any distance without chronic pain or fatigue. It struck me that my neighborhood is so close to downtown, yet it is really peaceful and safe. I can walk through it at 4 a.m. with nothing to worry about. These are These are privileges that serve me every day, although I seldom actually enjoy them because I'm so rarely aware of them. The sky is falling. How do you know? I arrived at my door, feeling rather thrilled with my position in life for exactly the way things were unfolding right now. And that that the sky is falling was the title of the next section. Anyway, I arrived at my door feeling rather thrilled with my position in life for exactly the way things were unfolding right now. And of course, I can never know the ultimate result of parking where I wanted. My car might have been sideswiped um, in that spot because it's more exposed. Or, made, or maybe it will get broken into in the faraway spot. Or maybe through some convoluted butterfly effect, either outcome could have led me, led Um, led to my meeting an amazing new friend or starting a nuclear war. I don't know, and I can't know. And that's the point. Every event has infinite repercussions, and each chain of cause and effect will reverberate until the end of time and bring the whole gamut of welcome and unwelcome developments to our lives. So every event is in a very real sense both good and bad, including illness, breakup, hardship of almost any kind. Almost all of us can see how our failed relationships, for example, made us better in some way, even if they seem like the end of the world at the time. The worst year of my life in my late 20s directly resulted in the, prof- in the founding of this blog, which has made my life better than I ever thought it could be. It seems very lucky that life went so wrong then. Radical gratitude is simply a way of challenging our initial feeling that a new development is wholly bad and that our moping and anger is justified, exploring instead what might also be good about it. Primarily, it does two things. It forces us out of hypersensitive kind of autopilot we often operate under, which is based on a pretty grievous misconception that events are isolated and are of two distinct types, good or bad, and that this goodness or badness is determined by by how welcome it feels when it happens. It also puts you into a helpful problem solving state that always ends in gratitude for something about what has just happened. The, door it, the doors it opens, the things it, it teaches us, the future trouble it might spare you. Experimenting with this is kind of fun. The more absurd, the more absurd it seems to be grateful, given the situation, the more interesting and fun it can be. I love how he plays around with this next. Can I be grateful that my plans were canceled? Certainly. Can I be grateful I have a rash on my foot? Ah. Uh, Let's find out. Any moment of annoyance or disappointment is fair game. How can you be grateful for your partner being impatient with you while you're trying to decide your order at the restaurant? Well, you might discover that it gives you a chance to understand their hang-ups and fears and perhaps your own self-defeating habits a little better. 
Can you be grateful that you're out of coffee? That your internet is out? That your latest draft sucks? If you have a brain and a little bit of curiosity, yes, you can. Radical gratitude also often reveals when we're just being stupid. If you've ever been annoyed that you said you'd make an appearance at a friend's get-together, you're taking quite a bit for granted there. Damn, it sucks having friends, always asking me to spend time with them. Again, being grateful for everything is not an obligation. It's an option to experiment with. You aren't responsible for feeling any particular way after something happens. But the initial feeling, the horror of a locker door hanging open, doesn't have to be the final word on what's good and what's not. It's a question too complicated for our most reactive emotions to answer. I think that's quite lovely. I really appreciate how he's taking the practice and just really played with it and I love sharing it with you. Gratitude for everything. I'll just say one more thing as the time draws to a close. So I've shared with, with you that I have a chronic illness and, um, and it's chronic Lyme disease. I was bitten by a, a tick many years ago and it took 10 years to be diagnosed. And anyway, as, as many of you might know, Lyme disease, it's, it's tough, especially when it doesn't get diagnosed. So, so um, it's been quite a source of difficulty and pain, physical pain and um, yeah, a lot of body dukkha in my life. And a few years ago, I wrote a thank you letter to the tick that bit me. Because if it wasn't for that tick, I wouldn't be here today right now, sitting in this hall, in the Dharma. It was really because of the illness that I submitted to this crazy idea of seven days in silence, or was it 10 days of silence, my first retreat. Really? Me silent for 10 days? Are you kidding? But it was the illness. I was desperate. I was willing to try anything. So, so who knows? Who knows? There's more I can say about that, but I'll just leave it at that. Gratitude for everything. Radical gratitude. Try it on for size. See if it works for you. If it doesn't, it's all good. I like to share, I like to end with a poem which is attributed to Rumi. I say attributed because I couldn't find the Farsi equivalent. I couldn't find the Farsi version. Wear gratitude like a cloak and it will feed every corner of your life. Let's just sit together for a moment and let the words settle. Wear gratitude like a cloak, and it will feed every corner of your life. grateful for your kind attention. So we have some time for walking, about 28 minutes for walking. <laughs> there will be lovely chanting tonight. Enjoy.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.